House of Games, Episode 3, in my mother's words. So so I, I can tell you what I'm doing and see if you wanted to. I'm just mostly, I did some, you know, I do a lot, a lot of writing. And I, I'm just trying to think about my mom and, and our relationship. And, but, you know, I have, you know, we, we had some hard times in our relationship. No, I'm going to tell you something, <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you what all I can remember. But I also want something from you. Yeah. That before I die, I want to know why you, mainly, I guess it's mainly you, I, I don't know, turned against your mother like you did. Weird question. You guys don't have to answer. I understand. This is really weird. Do you think mom was capable of murder? Yes, totally. I know she tried to kill me. She poisoned me. Did I ever tell you that story? No, maybe. I know she poisoned us, but I don't remember the story. I drove to her house in North Carolina. I ate the dinner she made. I started feeling really sick. She didn't say anything. She just looked at me. Then I went into her bedroom and started projectile vomiting. She sat in the other room, waiting, watching me through the doorway. She didn't come in and help. She just sat on the couch and watched me throw up for hours. I never ate at her house again. When I took my kids to visit her, we would get McDonald's on the way, and then I would tell them not to eat or drink anything at Mom's house. Who was this person that showed her ugliest expressions to us, to us and those under her care, the elderly? That will come later. But I ask those of you who love true crime... What if you had the story, the personality of someone who did, in fact, murder or tried to but was never caught? They exist, don't they? What are they? Who are these liars among us? And how might they find their way into the crevices of human nature, the underworld? Not all serial killers make a name for themselves, right? Just as there is temperament and there is personality, there must be those killers who want only flesh and blood. They want to control mortality without a conscience. Maybe it was burned out of her brain, and maybe the real orchestrators of death were those terrible doctors at Harvard, Tufts, University of Mississippi, UCLA, those doctors who were members of the International Society for Psychosurgery. Those same doctors, those orchestrators. Need I go on? And what are these mad scientists doing now? Don't believe me? Don't believe there are nefarious tormentors operating under the guise of medicine? Who is paranoid? There is a doctor who very well may have operated on my mother in 1970, H. Thomas Ballantyne. Shall I tell you where he lived? Beacon Hill, Boston. Shall I tell you where he summered? Sailing in the Bahamas. Shall I read you his obituary? I will, later. How did he describe the surgeries? In an interview with Harvard University, his alma mater. And so one thing built on another, and I said, you know, this isn't a wild idea, Flanagan. This does have some uh, clinical expertise behind it from really people that are 
that are uh, well recognized in their field. So he said, okay, let's, let's try. And so in April of 1962, we embarked on stereotactic anterior cingulotomy. He, the pioneer of brains, just like Lewis and Clark, pioneers of unblazed trails through the Western land, through inhabited places that should not have been 1.5 cm to either side of the midline and make these burr holes here and here. Then we do a limited ventriculogram instilling air. And then uh, when we have the ventricles outlined so that they act as our landmarks, as you see, then we place the uh, needles in this area here, which is the cingulate or the cingulate bundle. Now, if I can have that other sign, uh, now you see this in the lateral, and we go just into the cingulate bundle here. We don't... He was an explorer, a pioneer. He wasn't even trained in neurosurgery, but they needed a neurosurgeon back then post-World War II, Harvard University. All that will come. Well, no matter. Murderers exist. Mangalas exist. Peel the layers, people. Follow the lies. Don't believe the experts. Trust yourself. Trust God. But don't trust those who claim to be God. It's a crazy world of brain science. The truth? What do they say now? Mindfulness. One moment is eternity. The past, the present, Fiction. Not in my family. Not in my case. Back to my mother's words, channeled through this aunt, desperately afraid of her own offenses being unearthed. Cover it up. Blame me. Blame Donna. Why is it again that I am the witness? Am I the only one to carry the blame for this whole family, for their legacy, for their generations of abuse and hostility and sadism, for their shame? Don't believe it. Even my father's mother, a woman I was estranged from for 30 years after she refused to let me go to my father's funeral, after she wrote in her will, I intentionally exclude Donna from any inheritance. After that, she sent me a letter. She was depressed. She was suicidal. And when she addressed that letter, she wrote, Dear Donna, I'm sending this to you because I believe that of the three of you, you are most likely to throw it away before reading it. What a bitch I am. It was my father's mother's suicide note, mailed to me. She was lonely and depressed. She was taking an accounting of her life. A reckoning, but not really. So why then did she send me the letter? Did she think I would throw it away and let her die, let her take those pills she'd hoarded away? No. She certainly did not. She knew I was the only one blessed with eyesight in a world of blind liars, the only one who could see and not restrain. I didn't have a brain for lies and secrets. Every day was a cliffhanger. You go to bed and you're thinking, what is tomorrow going to be like? Right? You have no idea. You know, and that's how I knew her, her whole, you know, my whole life. And, you know, for the remainder of her life from the time I can remember to, you know. So like a cliffhanger, because I know, I do know what you're saying. And um, so like a cliffhanger might be, um, like I always looked at it like, you know, we could be in a situation where like in high school or even grammar, uh, middle school where, you know, something could happen 
and like totally crazy. Like, she, like she's out on the um, front lawn, inner nighty, drunk, you know, and it's like, we go to bed and then it's all over. It didn't happen the next day. And then there's something else that happens. So, I mean, I, that's my recollection of it. It's like, it was like insanity. And then we had to be normal. And then it was insanity. I don't know. Like that was kind of my. Yeah. Like I remember one night, I mean, I was probably, I, mean, I was pretty young. I was probably eight, maybe nine. You, Dad, and Terry were in the kitchen in Greenbrier Drive, and um, and my mom was like really drunk, like she was really out there, and like you know we had like a thousand doilies throughout the house, you know, and she was sitting there on the floor between the couch and the trunk that we used as a coffee table, and she lit a doily, and I was in the living room with her, and she lit a doily on fire with her lighter. And I remember just running into the kitchen, grabbing a glass of water, coming back and just putting it out with a glass of water. Right. But then the next day is like, by the time I get up, I mean, she's already been up. She already cleaned up the door. Like, she already, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it was never mentioned at all. I mean, and that kind of thing was what, like, as I, I'm hoping like to talk to you, I think I told you the, I know I told you this, this guy who teaches neurology at PSU. And I, I mean, I'd like to talk to him about just, I don't know enough about like behavioral changes after traumatic brain injury or something like a lobotomy gone wrong or whatever happened because I feel like her lack of inhibition and her desire for attention. I mean, maybe it was just a borderline personality alcoholic and that's what it was, but things like lighting that doily, I mean, I mean like not to go into the funny side of it, which people are always like, don't even get the humor of things. But like, I remember one of the times <laughs> this is like crazy. One of the times when we were estranged and I was living in San Francisco, it's the time when she came with her um, RV after Lily was born and she like had this long extension cord and plugged into your, <laughs> into your outlet. Yeah. And okay, so it was that trip. One of the last times I saw her and she, we would, I took her to this play. I think it was Samuel Beckett or something like that. I mean, this is terrible. I'm not laughing at her, but like, she had these false teeth that she claimed she took. <laughs> she claimed she took from a patient in the nursing oh, home. I didn't know that she took them. I like I didn't know that she admitted taking them. I thought that's what we were saying. That she well, I don't remember exactly. But we went, this, we went to this like existential play, like or absurdist play, and she's like clacking. <laughs> she's like clacking <laughs> the the teeth really loudly and I'm just like like everybody around us is like totally uncomfortable and she's like sitting there acting like she's not doing it and that was the kind of like I know it's crazy but like that's the kind of lack of inhibition combined with wanting attention and then mm -hmm. it got really dark when she was drunk or psychotic or something mm -hmm. No, you can't speak to my parents. They're both gone, passed away, dead. My father, from a brain tumor, operated on as best as could be, a geoblastoma. My mother, leukemia. Her dog, named Skippy, coincidentally, the same name as my dog that she killed decades before. Why did she do that? Create creepy ironies and act like she didn't. I mean, if you had killed a dog on purpose, you'd remember his name, wouldn't you? Although, if you cared little for life, maybe you wouldn't. Honey, what's the name of that dog I poisoned with aspirin? 
she died. It was long and drawn out, half the time her pretending she was dying and half the time really dying. So no, I have no audio of them, my parents. But what I do have is an interview with my mother's best friend, her sister-in-law. My question was, how could someone truly love my mother? Sounds cold, but really she was so mean and sadistic. What would it take for someone to love and accept her? The interview with my aunt. But a note on trauma recovery, time passing, memory. Research has pretty much offered a convincing argument that memories are unreliable. They can be planted or implanted or forgotten. The effects of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, have an impact on many areas of the brain, and the hippocampus is one of the casualties. Memory and all kinds of memory appears to reside in that little horseshoe-shaped structure. All those nerves, gray matter, white matter, deep in the limbic system. Those comrades, all for one and one for all. Emotion, but also smell, foulness, fear, amygdala. There's the pituitary. These all have functions, but yet researchers say, we believe this is responsible for this or that. But really, it's an elegant orchestration. Who is the band leader? I don't know. It's a system that seems to find a synchrony. If things are good, there's a harmonious, elegant, and quite advantageous synchrony. With the brain, nothing is simple. Nothing. Everything is interconnected, all parts of the brain. But generally, the limbic system is thought to make sense of senses and strongly associate with emotional meaning. Some of the outer layers of the limbic system form connections to higher regions of the brain. Yes, higher. The limbic system is the pit of the peach. In the tasty flesh is all the cortex, and right around the outside, the skin, are the meninges. More to come. But I will end this short rambling about the brain with this. My mother, I found out recently, had a brain injury at 15. This was likely a frontal lobe injury. This was long before us, long before my father's gaslighting of her. Then, again, another brain injury. My mother had psychosurgery. This time, a needle-thin electrode through her skull, through her meninges and the fleshy peach, all the way to the limbic system, right into that cingulate gyrus, that bundle of nerves that connected her broken frontal lobe to her limbic system, a domain likely violated long ago in the harsh environment of poor southern tenant farming. So there you have it, psychosurgery that burned lesions right into her limbic system. More to come. And my dad, his tumor years later, when he was about 10 years younger than I am now, in his 40s, it was in his meninges, the arachnid layer. This could have been good news, the best of bad news, but it wasn't. Although it hadn't descended into the tender peachy flesh beneath the skin, it had long malignant tentacles, geoblastoma. I can't tell you how it affected my father in the beginning. There on the left side of his brain, above his ear, the Wernicke's area, language. My mother used to mock him back in the 70s and 80s when they were still together after he had signed off her soul to Massachusetts General Hospital's psychosurgeons. He paid for that one decision deserved it, but she'd contort her face and hunch over and pretend to drool. She'd say, you're going to end up a vegetable, Paul, your brain intact, helpless there in the wheelchair. 
I have no idea what the context for this torment, or even if there was one. Was my father afraid of being helpless and weak? Did my mother know that was his weakness? Was it a premonition? Could she see into the future once she had no self-control? So no, both of my parents are dead, and I have no recordings of them. I do, however, have a recording of my aunt, my mother's closest, perhaps only friend. Hold it. When you're a child, you think all the adults are smart and strong and powerful, don't you? It doesn't occur to you that they're not. So when you get older and you unearth the story, as I am doing, you assume something. You assume they confirm the truth. You assume they know the truth and you don't know the truth. But the truth is that you know the truth and you've known the truth all along. In fact, I might be the only one who knows the whole truth about my mother. That you lived in that little trailer, and I bought your mom and y'all a TV and took it to you. Do you remember that? I remember the trailer. I don't remember the TV, but I bet you I appreciated it. She she remembered. Your mother had a fantastic memory. She did. And she would tell me different things that that I did for her, but I didn't remember. And she said, Brother, don't you remember buying that TV from it? I said, no, Bunny, I don't remember. She said, well, you bought it because we didn't have a TV. Up until recently, I thought these family members could confirm something. Mistake. Amateur's mistake. Obvious from the outside. My memory was nothing, nothing like your mother's. She could tell me stuff, and then, of course, I would remember after she called me. You right, know? right. And she would tell me about it, but uh, she would tell me stuff that I would really forget. But yeah. I, I know she was so sad. My mother was, of all the things she was, a narcissist. And if you read self-help on the topic, a friend of a narcissist, one who loves a narcissist, you'll find they have to reinforce the narcissist reality. So that was my aunt, my mother's best friend. That's what she did. And in doing so, when she spoke with me, I heard the same exact stories my mother had told. The same exact stories. And the same delusions. Drinking changes personality. Yeah. Well, when your mom drank, that's what happened to her. Her personality changed. Yeah. And I think a lot of her inner self came to surface. Yeah. You know, and well, she, I'm sure she hurt some people with some words, but later on in life, she, she stopped all that drinking, and, and only bad habit she had was the smoking. Yeah. But she was a, she was a good soul right up until the day she died. What happened in California? It was, it was something. You was raped or something? Oh, was, yeah, I was, was raped. Was that true? 
mm-hmm. was a, a terrible experience and time for you yeah. back then. And also some things about Paul. Yeah, and about Dad. I know it all, Donna, so if, you know. Yeah, well, I... She, she's told me all, but she always couldn't put it together why uh, y'all didn't want anything to do with her. Yeah. And we even went by your house in California. Oh, we were out there. Did you? When was that? Like a lot, like in the 90s? Yes. Mm-hmm. We went to California. Wow. And she knew your address. Mm-hmm. And we rode by your house. And it nearly killed her to do that yeah. without seeing you. Yeah. I took the leap. The truth I looked for could not be validated by my aunt, but she regurgitated my mother's reality. So I'll commentary. I'll tell you my take on this reality. Then I'll share some excerpts with interviews with other family members, those more aligned with the truth. I remember, I think I remember, that mom was a very different person before the surgery. My sister says, no, mom was always the same way. And that same way was pretty bad with us and yes. have the same memories about some of the things that happened in our family. She, she, probably, she was drinking a lot then, Donna. She was, I, I went up there, honey, because Bunny called me. And me and her mother, Bonnie's mother, and Judy came up there. And Bonnie was drinking a lot. And you kids, I remember, remember that all you had to eat was life cereal. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. You remember the basement? Yeah. In that house? Mm-hmm. And we cleaned up and fed you. And it tried to take care of you for about a week. Yeah. While Bunny, Bunny was on a drunk. Yeah. And she did do that. But she, that was when, that was some of her bad times as a young girl. But she, she when she was sober, she was the same person. Well, I guess. It was when she was drunk. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I think. That, you know, I talked to Gail and she said that when mom was uh, like 15, that she had fallen off a car and that, and that Aunt Betty said she was never the same. And I think that's that's Betty's opinion. That's not true. All Bunny did was uh, messed up her wrist. Okay. When she fell off that car. It had nothing to do with the head. Okay. Well, because Gail said, Gail said that she is. Yeah. We all say, Bunny is Bunny. Right. And the reason why we say that is she's the same all the time when she is sober. She's constantly saying things, doing things, being funny. Sees a blouse on me and says, Linda, I want that blouse. (laughs) She did that to me constantly. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, I like that. You can give that to me. But Bunny was what I mean by that. Bunny was funny. You never knew anything different. You expected it of her. 
So I think your memories was when Bunny was drinking a lot. You, her and your dad was having a lot of trouble. Yeah. And he was running around on your mother. Yeah. It was killing her. So she took the drink. Yeah. That's what she did. And she told me many a time she had to work at the hospital. And she would tie you to her arm with a rope while she got a few hours of sleep. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I have. I mean, you know, I mean, you know you don't tie children, right? You know you don't tie children to your arms. You know that's not a good solution. That's true. Right. That's a bad solution. And his job, then he was running around, and she had to sleep. Right. she didn't know what else to do. She didn't want you to get hurt. Right. And yes, today that sounds abuse. Well, I mean, and that that's, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I don't even know if that's, you know, to me that, yeah, I mean, my mom was very, no, I, I, the tying my hands, I mean, listen, you could run around the room, but when you got too far, pulled on her, on her wrist to let her know that you, to wake her up, that was her purpose. Yeah, but you know that's not you know that's not really what you're supposed to do with a child. I mean that's no right, no. right. I mean, I have. I mean, what else could she do? She could find a babysitter. She could. There's a lot of things. I mean, I have a child. I I have to make choices not to tie them up. I mean, right. But back then, listen to me. Back that many years ago, people didn't consider that abuse. flowers waited by the phone for hours but I never heard a single word I gave you all my kisses wrote your songs with all my wishes to have you near to me but now it's clear to see Was it done loving you? I wasn't done. So how can we be through? Can we really be so
So cool.